Good to see you guys. Welcome if you're watching online. I'm excited about tonight. Who was here last week? Okay. So, okay. We're going to do this every week. I feel like every week I say something that invokes some level of response. We give like a halfway response, and then I'd be like, all right, come on. And then it's like, ah. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm just going to anticipate that in 2024, we, br- we come with all the energy. Amen? Cool. So, like I said, I'm excited. Last week we started, um, I, w- I don't even know if I would call it a series. It's more of a two-part message. We talked about lessons from the lion's den. And last week we were looking at not Daniel in the lion's den, but Daniel as a person. Daniel as a man of God. Daniel as a figure as an example that we can follow of somebody who God had placed his hand on and how he was navigating life. We talked about the fact uh, that there's a power in competency, that Daniel was excellent in what he did and he was placed in a position of great influence, not just because of random blessing and random favor, but because he was actually really good at what he did. And so it's important that we as Christians don't just try to faith our way through every aspect of life, but we actually put our hands to something Amen. And that we don't just expect excellence to come upon us, but that we work towards excellence. Amen. Amen. And then we talked about character and the importance of character, that Daniel had a phenomenal uh, integrity about him, character, that there were people who were trying to tear him down, trying to find a reason to accuse him of wrongdoing in his position, and they couldn't find anything to accuse him of. Imagine if the same thing could be said about you and I. What if most of the church was known for being excellent at what we do and being upstanding in our character? How good of a reflection of God would we be, right? And then the last thing we talked about is the benefit of commitment. The fact that Daniel, when he was tried and tested, he went back to what he had already been doing. Because what happened was Daniel was in a position of power. He was one of the three highest officials over uh, the empire of Babylon that was being run by Darius, who was a a Persian who had just come in and taken over the empire in Babylon. And Daniel is one of the three high officials that are put over 120 leaders who were all over different provinces. And so all of these leaders and the other two officials did not like the fact that Daniel was over them. Why? I don't know. He didn't do anything to them. You ever been in a situation where you did not do anything wrong and somebody doesn't like you anyway? Welcome to life. It's been happening for thousands of years according to the Bible. So Daniel was excellent at what he did, upstanding in his character, but people still just didn't like him having any type of power. So they go to the king and they get, they convince the king to establish a rule. And this rule is that if anybody is caught praying to anybody but the king, For 30 days, they're to be thrown into the den of lions. And so the king is like, I like that. Everybody worships me for 30 days. I like that idea. Let's do it. And what happens immediately after that is it says when Daniel finds out that the ordinance had been signed, he went back to his house. He went to the upper floor. He had a two-story home because he had power and influence. And he goes 
to the window, opens up the window so everybody can see him, and he prays. Three times a day, it said, as he had always done. And we talked about the fact that your spiritual disciplines don't need to show up just when things get difficult. That Daniel didn't scramble to try to find a prayer life when things got difficult, like many of us do. And we, we end up in this cycle of approaching God out of desperation. And then when things calm down, we, we don't even talk to him. And so Daniel's faith gets tested, but his habits kept him standing. Because the reality is, most of us, if, if we had not already had an, a close relationship with God and a consistent prayer life, when we're threatened with death, we're not going to go do what we had always done. And especially if it's not what we had always done, we're not going to go now adopt a new habit of prayer. If I didn't pray when things were excellent, I'm likely not going to pray when I'm being threatened if I'm praying. But we talked about the benefits of commitment and how God's hand was upon him. And ultimately, I know that, as I said last week, it's not a spoiler. Most people know this story. Can I just see by a show of hands, who is familiar with what happens in Daniel and the lion's den, this story? A good amount of the room. We're familiar with it in some sense, but I want to take a dive back into the story. I want to pick up where we left off last week, and I want to look at it from this particular angle. This is part two of Lessons from the Lion's Den, and the subtitle is A Night in the Dark. How many of you guys know that whether you make great decisions or bad decisions, your decisions are sometimes going to lead you into difficult times? Daniel had made all the right decisions and ended up in a bad situation. And I say a night in the dark because many times we hear, oh, Daniel in the lion's den, and we just picture like, oh, okay, Daniel is around some lions, and in our minds, it's like still the cartoon drawing. But this was a real situation where Daniel was put into a cave of lions, and with most experts that study this story, they know that lions don't really maintain dens. So they're like, where does this lion's den come from? Well, based on the context given in the story, it was likely a form of punishment that was structured. Just like we see Nebuchadnezzar have a furnace of fire prepared for when they wanna throw people in a furnace of fire. In the same way, Obviously, this empire had captured lions, which was actually pretty common, and had a place where they were kept in case they wanted to punish somebody by throwing them in to be devoured by lions. And it says that Daniel is not only thrown into this lion's den, but then there is a stone put over it. So whether this is something that's in the ground or whether it's a cave it's covered by a stone, meaning there's no light. And so I want you to think for a moment what this actually was like for a human being. To be in darkness surrounded by lions. That's not typically what we're thinking about when we're looking at the story. But when I look at this story, I think about you're in a cave a pit, you can't see a thing, and there are lions roaming all around you. 
I can't imagine how it smelled. Because I think they used the bathroom in there. That's what I think. I don't think they waited until the den was open to go outside to use the restroom like we do with our dogs. I think they stunk because they're wild lions. And to you, that may be a trivial fact. But for me, it just worsens the circumstances. Have you ever been in just a difficult situation and it seems like things just keep getting worse? So I only, I, when I look at this event, I'm thinking about what it's like to be this human being in this particular situation. And how do I respond when I'm in difficult situations? And so that's what I wanna dive into tonight um, from, from two different angles, looking at two different people in this, in this event. I hesitate to even say story because it makes it sound fictional when this is historical documented events. So I wanna pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your truth, God. We thank you for your word. Lord, you said that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword, that if nothing else can get to us, your word can get to us. If nothing else can illuminate our hearts and illuminate our minds, your word can illuminate us, God. If nothing else can show us where we're doing well and, and where we're going wrong, your word can show us these things. If nothing else can show us the way to life, the path of life, and all that is good, your word will show us the path to life and all that is good. Your word invites us into your ways. So Lord, help us to see your ways, God, to not just hear ideas and philosophies and stories and points, but Lord, help us to understand your ways through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I wanna pick up in Daniel chapter six, uh, verse 11 through 15. So verse 11, after Daniel goes and does what he's always doing, it says this, then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. Petitioning and imploring his God. Daniel wasn't just saying trivial, religious, ritualistic prayers, but Daniel stepped into a space where he was doing what he had always done with the current circumstances in mind. So he wasn't just going and doing a devotional. He was going and praying and petitioning and imploring God most likely to deliver him in this situation. Because Daniel doesn't wanna die. No human being wants to go through difficult times. No human being wants to go through darkness. No human being just wants to be thrown into a den of lions. So yes, Daniel goes and prays, but I don't think this is just like, oh, no matter what they're saying, this is the den of lions, I'm still going to do my prayer. Father, I thank you for my puppy, and I pray that he's safe. No, I think that Daniel is crying out to God in a difficult situation. I believe that Daniel prayed when things were good, and I believe that Daniel knew how to pray when things got tough. Some of us need to learn how to petition God and implore God. For me, I've found that the situations and circumstances in my life are often inviting me into a new aspect of prayer. 
a new way to pray. But the temptation is to not pray. The temptation is to try to fix everything. The temptation is to take things into my own hands. The temptation is to accuse God of doing something wrong. When in reality, each event in my life is showing me a new aspect of God's face, a new aspect of his character, a new aspect of his heart, and invites me into a different heart posture, invites me into humility, invites me into dependence on God. Can I tell you that without going through difficult times where you do not know what is going to happen, you don't know God as well as you could if you did. If you don't ever go through situations where nobody else can help you but God, then you have not really met God for who he is. This is why God would invite his children into these situations that seem crazy for somebody to go through. But the reality is we won't know God as a savior if he never saves us from something. We won't know God as a deliverer. We won't know God as our victory if we never fight. We won't know God as the one who resurrects if we never experience a death. We won't know God as the one who cleanses if we never get dirty, if we never do anything wrong, if we never see the error of our ways, we will never see the grace of God. We won't see God as one who forgives if we won't admit that we've sinned against him. So often God is inviting us into situations to show us an aspect of who he is. And one of the most important aspects of who God is, is our source of everything. God wants us to depend on him. And sometimes he will orchestrate circumstances. This is not me telling you that everything bad in your life is God just bringing you into a terrible situation to show you something again. It's not, that's not quite the angle that I'm taking. There are many reasons that bad things happen, but can I tell you that no matter what bad thing has happened, there is an invitation for you to learn a new aspect of God. There is no situation on earth. I think Paul would say it this way. There is not height or depth. There is not angel nor demon. There is nothing on this earth that can separate us from the love of God. So no matter how difficult of a situation you find yourself in, no matter how dark of a night you find yourself in, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. No matter what mistake you make, what poor decision you make, and the, and the resulting consequences those things don't separate you from the love of God, but you can separate yourself from the love of God. And so what we want to do is when we run into difficult circumstances, we want to remember that God is still inviting us to himself. And Daniel knew this well, that even if he's the only person in the entire kingdom who's going to have to suffer as a result of this regulation, he's willing to petition God and maintain his relationship with him. So he petitions and implores God and they find him doing this as they expected because they knew this was the only way they could trap him. They said, there's nothing that we can find wrong about this guy. The only thing that we can get him caught up in is if it relates to his God because he's so committed to God. It says, so they approached the king and asked about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? 
The king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. He was proud of it. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you sign, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went together to the king and said to him, you know, your majesty, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So as we're talking about a night in the dark, I want us to look at this from the lens of Darius. And then we're going to look at this from the lens of Daniel. Darius, the king, gets in a sticky situation because he had leaders that he had put in place. And they came to him and made a suggestion that he put a rule in place. And he didn't know their intentions or their motives behind why they were encouraging him to do this, so he did it. But he got deceived because what it said at the beginning is that that Darius really liked Daniel, that he wanted to put him over the entire kingdom. So now you have to look at Darius's plight, that this is somebody who he has wanted to entrust and empower, but the people he listened to convinced him to do something that was against his best interest. And in fact, they've now convinced him to kill one of his best officials, one of his favorite guys. He has now been deceived. And here's what deception is. Deception is convincing you that something is true when it's not. So you think things are happening one way and they're not happening that way. And that is the enemy's tactic against you and me. What's crazy about the dynamics here is Darius is the one who has the power. Yet he's the one who gets finessed. He has people under him, that he has authority over him, convincing him to use his power in a way that will destroy him. And my Bible tells me that as a follower of Christ, I have authority over the enemy. That Jesus has given me authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Yet, the enemy tends to have so much influence in our lives even when we have authority over the enemy. And it's crazy because he doesn't actually have power in the life of a believer. The life of a non-believer, he has full access because it is, it is legal access that he has to someone who is not covered by Christ and he has no legal access to someone who is in Christ. Why? Because Colossians tells us that our debts, our sins against God gave the enemy weaponry against us to accuse us against God, right? And have access to us. Then it says that Jesus triumphed over the kingdom of darkness on the cross by nailing our debts to the cross and triumphing over the enemy in broad daylight and canceled our debts. So now there is nothing that the enemy can use to accuse you and I before the Father, 
that would give him legal right to our lives. So why does he have so much influence in the lives of so much of the church? Could it be because his main tactic is deception? Getting us to believe that something is good when it's not. And I would say that that is really the root of temptation and that's the first point of tonight, that temptation is deceiving. It's deceiving by nature. Many times we look at temptation as just, man, something that appeals to us so much. It's, it's so appealing and so good. Why would God not want me to have it? And then when we look at Eve, we see the same situation that, that the devil really just convinces her of something that's not true, that God is trying to withhold something from her. Meanwhile, God fashioned her, formed her, made her, placed her in a garden, told her that she could have everything on the planet except for one thing, and the enemy got her to believe that this one thing was worth giving up everything else. And I feel like I've seen that happen so much through my life. I've said this a lot of times, but me personally, it took me a long time to believe that, that God's will for my life was actually going to be the most fulfilling path for me. I, it's like it didn't land with me that God's plan would fulfill me. I, I knew that it would please him. I may have even known that it was right. It's like the right thing to do. But I wanted to do something that fulfilled me. And I bought the lie that the two wouldn't go together. That if I followed God, I wouldn't be fulfilled. And if I followed my own way, that I would be. And what I found is, as I went down my own path, I met the resistance of God instead of the favor of God. He says that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, and I found that it was like I was pushing weights to get to where I was trying to go. Not only that, but I also found that every decision that I made that went against the will of God, that I knowingly knew went against the will of God, I was seeking some form of pleasure, some, some form of fulfillment, and each and every time, it didn't deliver what it offered. And yet we live in a world that is trying to convince us with every tool in the toolbox that God's way will not fulfill us and we need to follow our own path. But nobody talks about what's on the other end of it. And it's sold to us like there's so much fulfillment on the other side of sin. And then we get in sin and we're not fulfilled. And I, I've mentioned several times that the, that the two, I think, greatest forces in our life outside of God are money and sex. And these are things that are covered in lies. We're sold this, this beautiful package. And that's, that's where I empathize with Darius because he was actually sold a beautiful package. You're the king. Everybody should honor you and respect you. As a matter of, we view you like a God. Look at all you have. Look at all you're in control of. Look at all you've conquered. Why should anybody petition anybody but you? Aren't you in charge of them? 
I would imagine this is probably stroking his ego. And in many times in, in those cultures and in those times, rulers of empires really did view themselves as gods. And they were in control of a lot. It seemed like they had endless resources, endless power. And he bought the lie that he could worship himself and everybody else could worship him and it would work out well. Temptation is deceiving because it doesn't work out that way. We see him by that lie and he didn't know that there was another motive behind it. Because that's what he was sold, but that's not even what the people who sold it to him believed. Can I tell you, you're being told lies all the time and people know they're lying to you. People will tell you what to do with your life knowing that it destroyed theirs. And they don't care if it destroys yours. People will tell you whatever they want to tell you to benefit themselves. This is why we have to be discerning about the voices that we're listening to. When you look throughout the New Testament, you see passage after passage warning us against false prophets. Jesus talks about this. And he says, you will know them by their fruits. That it doesn't matter what they say. Look, look at what they are producing. And can I tell you, when you have the wrong seed, you can't help but produce the wrong fruit. You can talk all you want to talk. But the reality is, if you, if you let me into your life for real, I would see that things are a mess. And this is why people want to talk from a distance. And this is why I think it's, it's mind-boggling to me that Jesus invited his disciples to live life with him. Jesus didn't just show up and talk to a big crowd and then go away and nobody saw him. Most of the gospels are stories about Jesus. I want you to... Think about this. It's not just teachings of Jesus. It's stories about Jesus. When he went here, this happened. How do we know? We were with him. This conversation happened. Why? We were there. Peter's mother or mother-in-law got sick. Jesus healed her from a fever. How did, look at the details of that. Peter's mother-in-law got sick. Jesus heals her from a fever. This was not told in a sermon. They were there. Just watched it happen. The leadership style of Jesus is to invite people into his life to model and emulate his ways. When we look at scripture, that is still the model that true leadership is supposed to follow. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. That's a rare thing to see nowadays. We say, don't follow me, follow Christ. Jesus has you. Don't, don't look at what I got going on. But I believe in Jesus. I'll take you to church. We can all listen to the message. And that's not exactly what Jesus was going for in building his church. This is why character matters. This is why how we live our lives matters. This is why Jesus said, you are the light of the world. How could we possibly be a light? Like in real life, how can you be a light? How do you show up as a light in the world? It can only be through what you do. It can't just be through what you believe. And so much of, I feel like our culture has bought this idea that, that our Christianity is just about what we believe in our heads. 
But what you believe is not a light. Your thoughts are not a light. Your words, your actions, what you do is a light. I don't see stories in people's lives about what they thought about. We're reading about what Daniel did. And we're reading about what Darius did. And what Darius did was he got deceived and he made a bad decision. And the second point that I want us to see is this, that sin is self-service and self-worship. That's really what it is. It's I'm not going to submit to God. I'm going to submit to myself. And temptation invites you to serve yourself instead of God. This is the picture that we see with Darius. This, he gets deceived because he's given this bait to consume to serve himself. He's convinced to make a decision that won't help anybody else. Imagine being over millions of people and you sign a law into place that benefits nobody but you. Think about this. You're given power and influence. You can do so much and you sign a law into place that benefits nobody in the entire kingdom but you. You get worshiped and nobody can worship anybody else. What is that? How did that sound like a good idea? You'd be surprised what we'll believe when it serves us. You'll be surprised what you and I will do in service to ourselves. This is why Jesus says we have to take up our cross and follow him and die to ourselves. And whoever wants to, to keep their life will lose it. And whoever is willing to lose their life will find it. Meaning what you have in your hands all on your own without God is not life. If you want to find life, you have to let go of the service of yourself, the worship of yourself. And most of us would never say that we're worshiping ourselves because we think worship is about songs. We think worship is about songs and about religious acts and about altars and prayer. But the reality is worship is about orienting your life. This is why we can go and look all throughout history of people worshiping and it has nothing to do with songs. This culture, they worshiped by doing this. This culture, they worship by doing that. And it's all about orienting your life around what you depend on. You and I, we worship God when we orient our lives around him. This is why Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. That requires your whole life. He doesn't say kind of love God. Love God a little bit. Make sure he's included in some of the things that you do. Make sure you write a scripture on your mirror. Make sure you have some posts on your story from the Bible app. No, he says orient your life. Love him with all your heart all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Orient everything you have going on around him and you will find life. But outside of that, you're going to be stressed and struggling because you're going to be trying to figure out why you're trying to do this Christian life and it's not working by just believing stuff and doing something else. Why does Christianity, why does Jesus not impact my life when I think and believe that he's God, but with my hands, I serve myself. 
That is the root of sin. And sin is deceiving. It convinces us that something's a good idea when it's a terrible idea. And I think this is a, an important picture for us to look at because if, if there's anybody that we should look at as an example of what you probably shouldn't do, it would be the king of Babylon. You read scripture enough and you see that Babylon is like eternally equated with darkness, worldliness, secularism, all that is anti-God. And so what we have going on here is we have the king of Babylon and we have God's child in the midst of it, in the midst of this culture, in the midst of these challenges, in the midst of a, of a system that operates completely different. And he's having to make a decision as to how he's going to operate. And he's having to make a decision that no matter how tempting it is and no matter how challenging it is, um, no matter how tempting it is to abandon God and no matter how challenging it is to, to hold on to his faith, he has to make a decision as to whether he's going to serve God or serve himself. And I would say that, that looking at it that way I think is a helpful way of us living out our discipleship, our apprenticeship under Jesus. When we just look at what would be the selfless thing to do versus the selfish thing to do. Darius, if he would have simply been like, you know what, that's a really selfish, self-serving decision. That's probably not worth me putting my power into he could have avoided this whole situation because he ends up in a dark situation, a difficult time off of a selfish decision. And the truth is that every selfish decision is an opportunity to make a selfless one. Every time you are faced with, am I going to serve myself or serve others? You have the opportunity to serve others. Every time you're tempted to orient your life around something other than God, Every time you're tempted to orient your life around one particular desire, you have an opportunity to make a selfish decision or a selfless one. And the lie that you're being berated with is that you have to serve you. You gotta take care of you. You gotta love you. You gotta do you. You have to live out your truth and be unapologetic about it. And while that sounds good on the surface, the actual spiritual narrative behind that lie is the same thing that happened to Darius. It's deception. It's, it's, there's an enemy that has a whole different agenda. And it's just convincing you, take care of yourself. I'm trying to destroy you. I'm trying to destroy God's people. And I'm going to convince you to do it because I can't do it. You know that the devil can't destroy the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he said that you and I, as followers of Christ, we have authority over all the power of the enemy. So what can the enemy do to us? He can trick us. That's ultimately what this actually comes down to. As, as simple and elementary as it sounds, most of us are just getting tricked by the devil. I saw a video the other day. It was a comedian. She was calling out somebody in the crowd um, about being a Christian. And she's like, are you waiting 
until marriage to have sex. And like makes a joke about it. And I just find it, I find it interesting because when we look at the reality of what's taking place in most of our society, even, the, even our philosophy around sex, we are, it's like we're trying to believe that sex is just a physical act about pleasure. And then all the issues that are spurring off of it, we're trying not to connect to this because we don't want to give up just freedom to have pleasure in whatever we want. But, but why is there so much talk about loving? Why is there so much talk about freedom in what you do with your body? And there's so little talk about the negative repercussions of it. And then we're having separate conversations about abortion. But why are there so many babies we don't want? And when I'm looking at the statistics, I, most of the situations that we bring up, well, what if this happens to this person? That's not the majority. It's the vast minority. And the vast majority is most of the world living in this space. It's my body. I'm going to do whatever I want and I'm going to serve myself and serve my pleasure. Oh, there's an actual result that happens from this. Okay, well, this is my body and I can do whatever I want and nobody can tell me what to do with my body. What if we came to a space of sense? And we say, so this act that we're acting like is no big deal has many of us with diseases that nobody wants to talk about. Has many of us, has many of us with broken families that we don't want to talk about. And we want to say, fathers need to stay in the home. But also do whatever you want with your body. Don't let anybody tell you what to do with your body. But stay in the home. But go have sex with whoever you want. And the truth is that sin is deceptive. It has us believing things that don't make sense. And when you look at the truth of God's word, it has worked for it works for every society, no matter the time, no matter the place, no matter the city. It doesn't matter. It works because God designed humanity. And one man coming together with one woman with a covenant and commitment to serve one another, love one another, husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church. The wife respecting, loving her husband, and both of them submitting to one another out of love for Christ. Having freedom of sexual activity within boundaries and confines. <laughs> Amen. 
produces, produces babies in safe environments who won't be abandoned, who can be trained up, who can be loved, who can be taken care of. I can't see a flaw in God's plan except for the fact that we don't like it when it gets difficult. And it's hard to not have sex. Trust me, I get it. But I've also been on the other side of doing my own thing. And so you can't tell me that God's plan is not the more fulfilling way. I've had to take the bumps and the bruises and I've had to have the bad decisions and I've had to have the this wasn't worth it to understand what really was worth it. And can I tell you that we don't have to live life like that all the time. Amen. Amen. And so Daniel 6, back into it, verses 16 through 18. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his no rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions or entertainment were brought to him and he could not sleep. You ever made a bad decision and couldn't sleep? I've been there. I've been there. Sick to my stomach because I made a stupid decision. You ever been there? And I can only imagine Darius looking at, why didn't I ask them any questions as to why they were encouraging me to do this? But nobody wants to talk about that. That's never what we're sold in the package. We're always sold, this is gonna be amazing. You're the king, serve yourself, worship yourself. Everything's gonna be amazing. You're gonna go down in history as the greatest. And he's in his bed, not eating not sleeping, just regretting his decisions. And nobody talks about this side of sin. Because it's always painted as it's just gonna be this glorious situation. But the reality is, whenever we give ourselves to sin, it never gives us what it promised. We just end up sitting there looking dumb, trying to figure things out. I've been there many a times, sick to my stomach. I know what he's feeling in that situation. No, I don't want to eat. No, I don't want to sleep. All I can think about is why did I do this? Why did I do this? Why did I do this? Why? And I could just picture myself in the situation. And all I had to do was not make that decision not take that drink. <laughs> not respond to that text. Not send that text. Not stay in this relationship that already has all the signs of toxicity. But the reality is that we all face a night in the dark, whether it's a good decision that led us there or a bad decision that led us there. 
And what I found in my life is that if I'm gonna be in a tough situation, if I'm gonna be in a dark place that I can't see my way out of and I don't know how I'm gonna get out of it, I'm just gonna lean on the side of, man, let my good decisions get me there. Let my God-focused, God-fearing, God-honoring decisions get me into tough situations, not stupid decisions. And if I have the opportunity to use wisdom, let me use wisdom and not just believe the lie that I'm being sold from people who, who don't have lives I want. How often are we sold lies from people who have lives we don't want? Relationship advice from people who don't have relationships. Not married, don't have a relationship. And if they do, we don't even know what it's like. So I'm gonna lean on the side of wisdom. And if I'm gonna have a night in the dark, I wanna have it in faith, in closeness with God, because what we see contrasted here is in, in a tough situation, Daniel is in a den surrounded by lions with the presence of God. Darius is in a palace surrounded by resources and stuff and he's sick to his stomach, regretting his decisions. And this is the, this is the end of the picture nobody tells you about. And life will teach you that it's better to be in a pit surrounded by lions with Jesus than in a palace surrounded by all the stuff you thought you wanted without him. And so here's what happens next. Verses 19 through 23. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel! Servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke. It could have ended there. Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me. For I was found innocent before him and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed for he trusted in his God. I'm gonna give you two takeaways from this. And the first one is that deliverance is not always immediate. Daniel still had to sit in the den in dark all night. You know what I looked up on the way here? I was thinking about it. Lions are nocturnal. They sleep during the day. They're awake at night. They hunt at night. They eat at night. They were hungry. He had to be in a dark situation surrounded by active lions and deliverance did not happen with an angel coming and rolling away the stone and bringing Daniel out of the den. Deliverance did not happen by the lions disappearing. Deliverance happened by God showing up in the middle of his situation and shutting down enough so that he would not be harmed. 
but he did not remove him from the experience. Sometimes deliverance does not look like a magic change to your situation, but supernatural sustaining through your situation. Deliverance came while he was in the dark. Many times we want deliverance to look a certain way, sound a certain way, feel a certain way. We want deliverance to be this grandiose experience. And the truth was, Daniel experienced deliverance in a way that was not pretty. He didn't put the lions to sleep. He didn't even chop their claws off. He just shut their mouths meaning there were still threats roaming around him all the time. I'm thinking, uh, the lions can kill you with just their claws. Appreciate you shutting their mouths, but can you remove them? <laughs> and I find myself in situations like that sometimes with God, where it's like, could you do a little more? <laughs> like, I appreciate the fact that this did not take me out completely, but this is extremely challenging. And I thought I was supposed to be blessed but then when I take a look at it and I reorient my, my perspective, I see that I am. Was Daniel not blessed in a, in a den with the spirit of God shutting the mouths of lions around him just because it didn't happen the way that he wanted it to happen? Are you not blessed just because you're in the situation that you're in with the presence of God? With him sustaining you, you woke up today, you're alive today, you are sustained today, you got here today, you have so much more that's been given to you than been taken from you. Every day of your life, you have so much more that's given to you than taken from you. But most often we focus on negative experiences much more than positive ones. We give negative emotions, negative experiences, negative thoughts, all of our time and energy and positive experiences, positive thoughts, we just, uh, we just let them go. Yeah, you, Daniel's 80-something years old in this story. He's been sustained up until this point. He's had 80 years of life. If he died in that lion's den, he still would have been blessed. The truth, 80 years of walking with God, the blessing of God, the favor of God, a book in the Bible with his name, that he wrote revelations, dreams, prophecies, God showing him things he didn't show anybody else on the planet. If he died in the lion's den, he would have died a blessed man. If that night in the dark was his last night, he would have died a blessed man. I can tell you that in making bad decisions, sinful decisions, selfish decisions, I would not have wanted my life to end as that version of me. Would you be okay with your life ending right now with this version of you? If this was all you had, would you look back and be like, man, I should have probably done some things different if I knew this was all I had? Because your life is telling a story. You're telling a story. It's the story of your life. What is it saying? All right. Now, the last thing, trusting God was all he could do and all he needed to do.
He couldn't do anything to save himself from the situation. He couldn't do anything physically against one lion, let alone a den full of lions. He couldn't do anything to stop the king or the king's military power. He couldn't do anything to save himself and rescue himself from the situation. But the scripture says that Daniel was found to be unharmed because he trusted in his God. It's all he could do and it's all he needed to do. For you, whatever situation you're in, whatever, cir- whatever circumstance you're in, it's never a bad time to start trusting God. You can start trusting God right now. Most of the time, it's, it's all you can do and it's all you need to do. There are sometimes situations where there are other things you need to do. We talked about that last week. But this week, we're talking about when you're in a situation that you can't really get yourself out of. And when you're there, you have a heavenly father that, that you, don't even, you don't have to have. Like, that wasn't a guarantee for you. God being on your side is a gift. He doesn't have to be. He could shut himself off from you at any time if he wanted to. But instead, he's chosen to be consistent and be faithful and still be available. And the, and the one time you rejected him, he could have been like, all right, that's it. We're good. Never again. Oh, you're in a desperate situation? Sorry, you rejected me 15 years ago. But no, the grace of God has him still opening himself up to you when he needs nothing from you. You can't bring anything to him except your junk. You can't bring anything to him except your wrong ways of thinking, your poor decisions, and your lack of wisdom. And then you bring that to him in humility and he gives you his wisdom, his righteousness, relationship with him, his presence, his peace. I want the presence of God everywhere that I go. I want the presence of God in my home. I want the presence of God when I'm driving. I want the presence of God right now when I'm speaking to you. There is nothing on this planet that I value more than the presence of God. And this is what has become my greatest weapon against temptation and against sin is I don't want anything that's gonna take me out of the presence of God. I don't, want any, I don't wanna do anything that doesn't acknowledge his presence here with me. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. Do I mess up? Absolutely. Do I want to please God? Absolutely. And trusting him is at the end of the day all that I really can do and all that I need to do. Amen? Amen. So I want to close right here. Second Peter. This is Peter's last letter to the church. He says that I, he knows that, that his life is coming to an end soon. And he wants to close with this right here. So Peter is pretty much sharing with the church, you and I, the most important things he could think of to share with us because he knows he's about to die. And he's going to be crucified just like Jesus was. He says this, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Anybody hearing that happen in the world? an influx of sensuality and the way of God being blasphemed and made fun of and disrespected, we could possibly be in this time. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Down in verse 17, 
says this, these people are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. We talk about a night in the dark. Peter's saying that all the lies that we hear, they're not going unheard by God. The ways that we play with God is not going unseen by God. And though God has immeasurable grace and immeasurable kindness, so much that he would lay his own life down to pay the penalty for your sins and my sins, he also is a just God and he also will not tolerate sin forever. And for those who will thumb their nose at God, completely disrespect him, deceive his people, come in and steal from his people and lie to his people and convince people to destroy themselves through sensuality and just serving themselves and serving their flesh. And this is what he says. This is the way that people are able to take advantage of people by appealing to your own lustful desires and convincing you that you need to follow your lustful desires because it's gonna bring you somewhere. And then it says, but they themselves are slaves of depravity. They push it so hard because they can't get free from it. Perhaps the encouragement for you and I to live in our own truth is coming from people who are stuck in their own lie. And God is the only one who offers actual freedom. And he says on, on this side, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever, whoever, whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. And on the other side, he says, but those who reject him, those who dishonor, those who choose to go their own path, there is a dark night that will never end that is reserved for them, that was created for the devil who led the first rebellion in heaven and is now working his culture into humanity. And we see it unfolding. Most of us, if we take an actual look at what's happening in society, this doesn't make sense. We have totally different morals than we did five years ago. What's driving this? What's driving this nonstop advancement toward rebellion against God? It's like a train that won't stop. That is just, you're either going to get on or we're going to take you out is ultimately the message that's underneath our culture. But I'm believing that God is sharing, us, sharing with us his eternal word, that he still sustains his people, that he still takes care of his people, that they could throw you in a den of lions and he'd show up. That the enemy has nothing that he could actually do to you but deceive you and trick you out of exercising your own power. And so I wanna pray for us, if you'll stand to your feet. I know you heard several times tonight that this is the last 
service of the year. Next week is our Christmas party. Amazing. But tonight is the last sermon of the year. Tonight is the last time in, in 2023 that I'll be preaching like I'm preaching tonight. And what I know is that ahead of each and every one of us are decisions. Decisions that will sometimes come with challenges, sometimes come with resistance, sometimes come with pushback, but the decisions that we're making in life are determining so much more than we often give it credit for. And who you serve is at the core of every decision you make. And so I wanna offer an opportunity tonight for you to make a decision, a firm decision to either start serving God or continue serving God. Because outside of him, there's nobody coming for you. Jesus already came for you. Jesus came to save, to heal, to restore, to destroy all the works of the devil and there's nobody else coming. There's no other religion. There's no other philosophy. There's, no, there's nothing that you could come up with in your mind that's gonna fix these things. Jesus is the way. And what I know is that as time goes on and as life goes on, the culture around us is going to become more like Babylon. And we're gonna have to decide to be more like Darius or more like Daniel. And so I want every eye closed. And I want you to take inventory right now of just your own heart, your own life, your own mind, what, what you have going on. Not for myself, but for you. Where are you standing right now? Are you standing firm in Christ? Are you standing on your own two feet? sustaining yourself in your mind? Who are your decisions revolving around? Are your decisions a reflector, a reflection of just the culture? Or are you responding in obedience to the spirit of God? God loves you. I want you to think about that for a moment. God loves me. I have a choice as to whether I love him in return, as to whether I'm going to walk through life with him as my shepherd, as a, whether I'm going to allow him to lead me along paths of righteousness, or whether I'm just gonna take my own route. And so here's what I wanna do. I wanna, I wanna pray for, for two different groups of people. And the, the first group is anyone in here who is not walking with Jesus right now. And, and I don't mean this like you, you made a decision 50 times to walk with Jesus and you keep messing up. No, I mean like you have not been walking with Jesus and it's very, very clear. Like you have not professed your faith in him. You have not really given your life to him and you're just not walking with him, but he is shining a light in your heart right now. You sense his presence. There's something in you that's drawing you to him. He says, no one can come to the Father except through me and nobody can come to me unless the Father draws them. So there's a drawing that happens in our hearts, not just a, a mental 
shift that happens, but there's, there's an inward pull towards God where we're illuminated inside. And if that's, if that's happening with you right now, you're wanting to make a decision to follow Jesus, I just want you to lift your hand. I see you. I see you. This isn't for glamour. This isn't for hype. It's the last sermon of the year. I'm gonna make sure you have an opportunity to follow Christ. Is there anybody else? Making a firm decision. I'm following Jesus. Simple as that. I see you. This is such an important moment. I can't even tell you the weight that I feel on this moment right now. All right, if that's you, I wanna, I wanna pray with you. And I want you to understand this is a conversation between you and God. I'm just here to facilitate. But I want you to pray this prayer with me to God and understand that what's happening right now is an exchange of your old life for a new life. And there's a spiritual reality that's about to take place as you confess that Jesus is Lord and you establish him as Lord of your life and you receive his forgiveness of your sins. There's a spiritual transaction that's about to take place where God removes your sin, removes darkness from your life and imparts you with righteousness, puts righteousness in you, covers you with the righteousness of Jesus, embraces you into the family of God. And so if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me between you and God. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I hear your call to follow you and I say yes I believe you're the son of God I believe that you lived a human life with no sin and you died on a cross so that I could be forgiven of my sin I receive your forgiveness and I give you my life I receive your new life as I repent for my sins and turn away from everything that I once knew to now follow you. I give you my life, I give you my heart and everything that I have and I receive your love. In Jesus' name. And now I wanna pray for every other person in here. If you're following Jesus, I believe that there's a, a sustaining that God wants to demonstrate in your life, a faithfulness that he wants to demonstrate in your life as you establish and commit your own faithfulness to him. And so Father, I thank you for each and every person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to your people. 
God, I thank you that what happened in Daniel's life is, is documentation of your faithfulness to your people. And what you want us to see is your willingness to get involved in the lives of your people, to sustain your people, to bless your people, and to glorify your name through our lives. So Lord, I pray for encouragement to enter the hearts of your people, God, for us to remember that you're with us, Lord, and that if you are with us, who could be against us? Lord, greater are you that is within us than anyone who's in the world. Lord, we thank you that the God of the universe has made his home. You have made your home in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would focus on you, listen to you, obey you, respond to you. Lord, I pray that for each and every person who has been giving into deception and giving into temptation, Lord, you said that if any of us fall into sin, Lord, if, if we'll confess our sin to you, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there's no sin that's too deep for you to remove. And so, Lord, I pray for a cleansing of the hearts and the minds of your people, for any person who's dealing with shame and guilt, feeling like they can't come before you, feeling condemned. Lord, you said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Lord, that you're removing sin from us. You're removing shame from us, God. And we can always come before you, God. We can approach your throne of grace with boldness and we can receive mercy when we need it. Lord, I pray a blessing over this season, over this holiday season, God. Lord, for for people who will be going through great times and difficult times. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us goes through these times with you, close to you faithful to you, committed to you because you are faithful to us and committed to us. Lord, I pray your blessing over this church, over all of your people, over all of our households, over all of our work. Lord, I thank you for purpose in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.